Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 24 of A Yank on the Footy. I'm Craig Wessels from Sandusky, Ohio, and I'm thrilled that my guest is able to join us this morning. I'd like to welcome footy legend Ricky Nixon to the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you joining me this morning, sir. Welcome. Thank you, Craig, and I look forward to it. And hello to everybody around the world. Thank you very much for coming on today. For those of you who are here in the States listening or elsewhere around the world, Mr. Nixon played in over 60 games at the senior level. He had a lengthy stint with the with the Saints, with some time with the Blues and the Hawks on both sides of that. And looking back at your time as a player, and I did a little bit of digging over the last couple of days, you had a couple of four-goal games when you were with the Saints. Would yeah, you consider sorry, those? Um, sorry, ahead, I, um, yeah, no, I, um, I guess my career was one of those ones that uh, was, wasn't a lot of games by any means, but uh, had had one of the longest careers uh, time-wise, which probably suggests I could play a bit, but I missed about 200 games with injury because I was a skinny 69-kilo person playing against 120-kilo guys in the in the 80s, whereas the game has changed substantially now where it's more an athletic event. It's probably more suited to the type of uh, body build I had back in the early 80s. I was going to – yeah, watching watching some of the, the collisions and such that took place back then, I could have – I could imagine that had to be something that took much more of a wear and tear on, on you than maybe some other people. Well, you're not going to believe yeah. this, Craig. You nearly got a phone call six hours ago because an ambulance was called to my house after I dislocated my shoulder for the seventh time by simply reaching out for a pillow on the sofa. Um, and I ended up in hospital again. It's so frustrating that you get these injuries 30 years ago and they come back to bite you when you get into your 50s and... You know, it's got to the well, stage where I really got to get it pinned or something like that because you can't be just reaching out to grab something and, and it dislocates it by three inches. So is this is this where I asked the question? Then are you a Mel Gibson fan? Did you do you like the Lethal <laughs> Weapon movies? Oh, look, I think I think everyone loved Mel, Mel Gibson back in the day. He, he seemed to have, seems to have disappeared wow. from the horizon very quickly. Yes, um, yes, he I did. Guess yeah, that, do, that does happen a fair bit. But uh, look, his his life and his career is. Will always remain uh, up there, I suppose. Absolutely. So after your after your playing career came to an end, uh, and you 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 stepped away from the game, you moved on to something that you know not a lot of people would would have the courage to do. Quite frankly, you know, doing this for myself, you became a teacher. You became a phys ed teacher. And, yeah, I uh, guess in um, in Australia in the eighties and through every decade, I guess there's there's an occupation that every kid wants to be, and it was always everyone wanted to be a phys ed teacher or sports teacher. It's it is, and um, in the eighties, so being an ambitious bugger that I am, um, I wasn't going to stop until I became one, and and I did, and then as soon as I became one, about. Two days later, I realized that when you're teaching kids sport, you're actually not playing it yourself, so it's not that enjoyable. <laughs> well, yeah. So did you do some coaching then while you were there as well? Yeah, effectively, um, it's just teaching kids all the different sports. It's not just Australian rules football. It's everything through to hockey and soccer and right, right. unfortunately not gridiron for some of your listeners, but um, that became more popular in Australia probably in the late 90s. Um, but, yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was a good time in my life and led me to probably the next part of my life. Okay. Yeah. Do, so do you, do you have any really, you know, you re, you realize that you don't get to actually play the games anymore, but uh, do, do you real, did you have any like really good memories, anything you look back at as a, as a teacher uh, where you go, that was, I that was it. something that was wonderful. Yeah. Well, I guess with social media these days, but like when I finished teaching in the early nineties, you know, your, your students didn't have access to you, but now with social media, right, you know, right. I, I'm 57 and some of the, 
kids I taught are actually in their early 50s because I was 21 when I started teaching 18 year olds. So, you know, it's, it was a bit of a strange situation. But um, uh, I, one kid uh, messaged me the other day and said that he reckons the funniest day of his life was when I, um, I was a little bit angry with a group of boys and I, I made them uh, lay down on an oval um, to, uh, head to toe right around the oval and made them roll across the ground to mop up all the rain that had fallen overnight so that when the main footy, when the main footy team played later that day, they had a dry oval. Wow. I'm, it was pretty I'm, funny. I'm, I'm wondering, is that, is that one of those days where you got a phone call from a parent asking yeah, why you did that? I no, I actually had the principal of the school or headmaster, whatever you call them over there, he actually called me to the office and he said, um, I've had a couple of parents ring complaining about how wet their kids are when they got home from school. And I told yeah, him what yeah. happened and he, he just cracked up laughing. It was pretty funny. I, I, I can imagine it would have been. Yeah. yeah, in in the day of the in the day of the cell phone in every kid's hand, there would have been a lot more phone calls, I'm sure. Plus, oh, plus video of it, yeah, yeah. Plus the yeah, video absolutely. of it. So, yeah. So after, right. after, yeah. So you were teaching while you were playing then as well. So you were kind of doing both at the same time. Yeah, careers in sport in okay. Australia back then were semi-professional, I suppose you'd say, where you were earning okay. probably the equivalent of what I earn in teaching about probably $35,000. Um, I was earning probably similar in football, but you, you actually worked till, say, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and then you went to training. These days, it's fully professional. So, And, and look, right, it is right. casting a problem with sport all around the world that a lot of young sportsmen and women, you know, they start their careers at 18, and if it's over at 22, 23, they haven't done a university degree. They haven't done an apprenticeship in some sort of trade, et cetera, and it's creating all sorts of problems. And um, with what's happening around the world with this coronavirus, et cetera, it's going to take us back to the old days a bit where people are going to have to work and and do sports. So it might be a good thing. Yeah, I I actually saw a, a discussion or an interview that Scott Pendlebury had done recently kind of making that same argument about raising the, the draft age to allow kids to get a year's worth of like vocational training to learn a skill before they went into footy in case footy didn't work out for them. Oh, absolutely. I'm absolutely adamant that they've got the draft age wrong. I've said it for probably best part of 20 years that it, it should be 20, maybe 21, but not 18. Because you, when you draft someone at 18, they, they can be 14, if that makes sense. They can be 18 and they can be 26 in maturation sense. But mm -hmm, you, right. you're drafting boys and you don't know what you're going to get a few years later. And whereas if you draft someone who's 20 or 21, you're getting a more fully rounded person. They're, they're more mature physically and they're way more mature mentally and education-wise. And uh, the AFL really needs to wake up to itself. Okay, yeah, that's that was a compelling argument there that that, that you made and that, that he was making as well. Now, you, you you when you finished up teaching, you moved and you finished up playing, you moved on to starting your own agency in terms of representing yeah. the players. Now, now, were you the first to do this, or was this a were no, you someone that become very very good at it? There was yeah, it was probably this the second part of it. Um, there was I definitely wasn't the first. There was some lawyers and accountants doing. I suppose what you'd say was basically just negotiation of contracts, but I was lucky enough that the AFL got wind of what I was up to and they, they had a meeting with me and I didn't know what it was going to be about. And I, I thought it was going to be about trying to take me on, but they said, no, we think that agents are going to become a big part of the game and we think the fact you've played the game, um, we'd like to see you, you know, I guess, work with us towards getting a better situation for the players. So they sent me to the US. They set me up with meetings with um, the NFL over there, the, the um, basketball, the baseball, 
And okay. it was the greatest, greatest week of my life. And I, I actually met Michael Jordan at a basketball game. And, you know, that actually in my head went, I went, wow, we need a Michael Jordan in Australia. And whether I was lucky or it was good timing or whatever, I came back to Australia and a year later I met a kid called Wayne Carey and Wayne Carey became the Michael Jordan of Australia, the greatest player of all time. And not far behind him was another guy, Gary Ablett, who also signed with me. So I was just in the right spot at the right time, but probably, yeah, did come up with some pretty good innovative marketing-type concepts. One was Club 10. In America, I saw a thing called the Quarterback Club, and the quarterback club was the 10 best quarterbacks all in a group. And they, they used it to market to companies because then you had the appeal of not just one player and one team. You had 10 teams and 10 players. So I copied it right, right. and created Club 10. And that, that put me on the map for, for football history, I suppose. Now, were, were all of the members of your Club 10, were they all people that you represented? They pretty much 90, 95% of them were, but I think there was only okay. two that weren't. But the two that okay. weren't, I actually were teammates of mine, um, you know, in the years prior to that. So I had a major direct connection to all of them. One was actually one of my best mates growing up, Greg Williams, who won a couple of Brownlow medals and premierships over here, a very famous player and probably in the 10 best players of all time. Okay. Um, yeah, some of the other things, and I, I've heard you talk about these in other – in other podcasts as well, you talked about how you had uh, you helped with people being able to actually get paid for their likeness and for autographs and things of that nature, which were you know which is something that the league seemed to have a monopoly on for quite some time. Yeah, what Pete played like I played through the eighties, early nineties, and I didn't even realize that on the registration form that a player signs each year in most sports around the world at that time had a little paragraph down the bottom that you could hardly read, and it said something like this. Um, you hereby assign your intellectual property, which means your image, your likeness, all that sort of thing, over to the AFL um, for no payment or no return. And I, and, I, and I guess players didn't really think much of that or what it meant, but when I started to market players, people started to realise, hang on a minute, um, why am I giving the AFL all the money? I should be getting something back myself. And I took them to court. Um, they settled on the steps of the court, real, and they were good about it, in all honesty. So they changed it to if you were in a group of three or more, that meant you were in a team photo, that the money should go to the AFL. And I agreed with that. But if it was a picture of Wayne Carey on his own um, marketing something, he should get 80% of that. The AFL should get 20% because you're using their intellectual property in respect to a football jumper. And that changed the course of sport forever in Australia because every other sport copied and to this day, every professional athlete in Australia should be thankful that we went to court. And it, and this this helped to this helped to uh, allow some of these these players, whether they be players that are in club ten, your club ten, or even if you're you're a middle of the road player, it helped them to to gain a lot more revenue for themselves. Oh, absolutely! So that, had every, be, that had to be tremendous. Every other agent benefited from it because, um, you know, they didn't take the AFL to court. And I remember my wife was absolutely petrified that we were going to lose our house and everything over it. And we could have, I suppose. But at wow. the end of the day, she said to go for it. And we did. And um, the rest is history. Well, yeah, that's uh, that, that's and that that is, you know, that's something that, you know, that I, I don't know if the younger the younger players growing up in the league that realize that that you in many cases are responsible for them gaining that revenue. So I hope you get a lot of Christmas cards every year. 
<laughs> it's funny you should long. say that. I, I, I won't name the player, but a very, very prominent current player actually pulled me up in the street probably about six months ago and brought up this exact story because he heard it on the radio. And he said, so what you did changed sport forever. And I like it's, I don't want to sound egotistical on here or something, but, you know, as I said, I was just probably in the right place at the right time. And he said, every player should be thanking you. And I said, well, I don't get too many Christmas cards each year, but, you know, it's, <laughs> I guess, you know, those sort of things. I'm not the only person to change the course of sport or history. And, you know, I just think it's good for everyone. We, everyone won out of it. The players, the AFL won out of it. Um, because what it allowed me to do was promote the AFL nationally. Um, and so we, it worked for both parties. And, you know, it was a right, win-win right. thing. And um, the guy who was the CEO of the AFL at the time, Ross Oakley, he actually has a coffee every second day with me in a cafe down below my place. And we joke about it now, how he <laughs> used to take me on and everything else. And I used to say, I used to run your competition. And <laughs> it was very funny. Now, I I read a uh, I read an article um I think it came out about two weeks ago where you were you were commenting about how, you know, with the advances that you made as an agent and helping get, you know, the the top end players or like Wayne Carey earning you know a million dollars a year that they were that this past season. There were only nine players that were earning that. And you you argued that the players that are at the top end, the the Fife's, the Dangerfields, the Martins should be earning triple that. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, what, and, what's happened is in the game, the middle range players are getting probably double triple what they should be getting but um you know and i don't want to focus too much on on what's happening in the world at the moment but this will change things back to probably what it should be that um the mid-range players aren't going to get you know well they're going to get what they should get which is probably more around the 150 to 250 mark but not 400 to 500 grand that money should be going to the top players who are let's face it the dustin martins the dangerfields the fives you know the buddy franklins they're the people who players who drag people through the gate. I also appreciate that people go to watch their team play, but there needs to be a proper balance and there isn't a proper balance at the moment. Do you, do you think that that's something that the, that the players association will push back against? I, and I, I don't know the, the, the players association stance on a lot of things, but I, I'm, I, you are an expert as far as I'm concerned on this, that you might have some insight on this. I think the problem is, is that the whole competition and the, whether it's a players association, et cetera, become so big and, and so powerful and so rich, it's all changed overnight. And I think it's going to bring back a bit of sensibility. There's probably too, too many people with too much to say. Now, that's going to upset some people if they hear what I've got to say, but guess what? It's a bit of hard-nosed truth that, you know, too many voices having too much say ends up in disaster. And, you know, let's get back to some reality. Okay, okay. Now, you've, you know, and I, I have to admit, I... I became a fan about four and a half years ago, and I, I, the person that helped me become a, a supporter, I, I chose to be a cat supporter, and yeah. I, the person, yeah, the person that I, well, the person I chose to, you know, that kind of pushed me over the edge, I haven't seen in a game since 2018. So, oh really? <laughs> yeah, Nakaya Cockatoo, you know, he's, oh, uh, yes. he's, 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 he's had a tough time staying healthy. Yeah, well, look, I, I, I was persuaded. In, Geelong could have won three out of the last five flags if they'd had a couple of the young players who are gun players on the ground, and he's one of them. Um, yeah. But, you yeah. know, every club has a story like that. But you look at Richmond, no. and, and good luck to them. They are the no. best team in the competition, but they've had hardly any injuries to their top players at all. Yeah, they. Yeah, I, and, of course, I I, th- I look at back at it, and I think to myself, if Tom Hawkins had just kept his elbows to himself yeah, last year, that's right. things might have been different. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, 
So you 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 had this great agency. You moved on to another another career avenue, and you started up something that is totally different with the creation of your uh, your vital health checks. And when yeah, did that get started? What it was was I was um, actually dealing with my own situation with my just dislocated shoulder and and talking to a lot of players um, and and the AFL actually were talking to me about um, there's just over five thousand players in Australia alive that have played one game or more and that I managed twelve hundred of them so that's a, a very wow. big percentage of the players and um, I just felt that my future going forward was I wanted to still be involved with them but not in a management sense but perhaps looking after their futures because some of them are in a lot of pain, and I mean that in inverted commas. That pain could be um, from injuries. It could be financial hardship. It can be, you know, mental health is a major, major, you know, problem around the world. So I thought I'd start a medical clinic for these players. And um, over here, one of the biggest businessmen and most successful businessmen is a guy called Jerry Ryan who owns Jayco Caravans. And Jerry rang me one day to talk about something, said, what was I doing? And I said, I was going to open this medical centre. And I don't know why I said it to this day. And I said, what if we convert one of your camper vans into a mobile health studio, go to businesses, pull up out the front, people come out, get a health check and a mental health check and skin checks. He's gone, wow, that's a great idea. And it's just snowballed from there. And then when we got to March this year, and every business around the world has been shut down. Of course, that shut down the health checks. But what it did was everybody wanted flu vaccinations and corona mm -hmm. testing and things like that. So... My mornings are starting at 3.30 in the morning and finishing at midnight sometimes at the moment because, um, you know, it's all about the health of everybody. And you now I'm working on a major project at the moment that's going to – I won't I won't say exactly what it is because it, I'll get some people trying to copy, but it involves bringing sport together to make the health of the world a lot better um, where your oh, kids – where your kids can come along to sporting clinics and your parents can get health checks while they're there. So oh, what terrific. it does is it eliminates this where, as men, we always say, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this do the same, oh, yeah, I'm going to get a health check. I'll go to the doctor next week. I'll go, yeah, oh, yeah, I haven't had time this week. I've been too busy. Well, guess what? If we come to you and we're there and it's not costing you, you anything, don't... you got no, no excuses. You, you, you no excuses. And, yeah. you know, I think it will change the face of uh, That's a it. lot of people. That's terrific. And I, I, I remember first looking at your the website for your organization uh, sometime last year, because you did an interview with uh, a gentleman by the name of Brian Kopic, who I'm friends with online, and you had mentioned it. And I, I think that since then, you've added this, uh, and I could be wrong on this, but you added this Game Changer Life Education Program. I don't remember seeing that. Yep. The, the no, most that's recent. A, that's part of what I uh, was introducing in March. Okay. But it, it'll probably come more to the fore that, uh, in the next couple of months, obviously, when people okay. start to go back to work. Game Changer, what it's about is I'm a big believer that a lot of the people delivering mental health programs are just too negative. They talk about suicide. They talk about every problem in the world and everything else. My program is all about smiling, happiness, how to get yourself back up and going again. It's about life experiences. Like I'll give people a good example right now. Last year in October, my best mate suicided and so did two other mates in the same week. Three friends in one week suicided. Now I ended up in hospital myself because I did my head in that I should have done more for them but I learned a valuable lesson out of it is sometimes if you try to stop someone doing something, they'll just do it the next day anyway. And what you, what I started to do was get up in the mornings and go for a walk. And that turned into a slight run and that turned into listening to music and that turned into me getting happy. And I realized why it was, and the doctors agree with me is if you go back to what you did between the ages of about 11 and 12 up to about 17, 
that's the happiest time of your life. Your body's used to it, whatever you used to do. So what I was doing, an accident, and I didn't realize I was doing, I used to do a paper round in country Victoria, Bendio, and I used to get up at 4.30 every morning. My body's used to getting up at that time. I used to listen to music. I used to be happy. So I started doing it again at 56 years of age, and guess what? I've never felt better, healthier, and fitter. And when I talk to people like that in common sense way with life experience, they go, hey, you're right, Ricky. I might do that. And then go and reconnect with the guys you went to school with. Then go and reconnect with the people you played junior footy with. And guess what? You get happy. And we don't need to talk about suicide and negativity. We need to talk about happiness. That 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 is I I'm I I almost want to end the end this podcast right now and go take a walk myself because I I (laughs) I'm thinking, you know, I kind of feel the same way as, you know, some some of the people you're probably talking about there. That that is a great approach, and I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. That is yeah. Well, even yesterday, I was I had to go to my old hometown to do flu vaccinations with people, but I deliberately drove past three things that changed my life. One was a massive hill I used to run up as a teenager to get fit to play AFL. I went past the old footy ground where I grew up as a kid, where we used to eat meat pies and wag school and go down and kick goals every day. And you know, I drove mm-hmm. back to Melbourne just happy and smiling all the way back with happy memories in my head. And mm-hmm. you know, we've got to get over this negativity and start thinking about happiness and get back to what yes, this world I, used to be. I think this is wonderful. Yeah. And I you know and I listened to a podcast that you had done recently where you had uh you'd said that uh you'd said that um true friends tell you the truth. And I thought that was a really thought-provoking statement that, and as you've mentioned that, you know, you need to reconnect with your friends. You need to reach out to people. You know, it's, you, you, you know, and it's, this is a great time to do it, even if it's only through social media. Because, well, even you know, my, 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 my family are very, um, we're not close, but when I say that, we've never had an argument in our life. It's just that we've all dissipated all around Australia. And so we don't live in the same town anymore. So we catch up every second Christmas, things like that. We started a Facebook messenger group chat. And it's like, it's just changed our lives because we're reconnecting, reconnecting to, and we're talking about, remember when when you were in grade six and we used to eat Sunny Boys and we used to do this (laughs) and we used to do that. And it's like, you just start getting happy again. And since I started preaching this to people every day about just reconnecting to things that you used to do, riding billy carts down hills and all that, people are getting way happier. That I'm, uh, yeah, that is, I, I thought that was a great quote because I, I have one hanging up in my classroom. I've got over 400 quotes hanging in my classroom and I have one that has a, it's in red ink and it's the only one that's in a different color. And it's an Oscar Wilde quote. That it's a lot like what you said, where it said, true friends stab you in the front. Yeah. There, well, it's a great, yeah, that's a great quote. And, and uh, I, I actually uh, came up with a good one the other day myself. And that is that, um, why do I go for a run every morning? So my day doesn't run me. And people said, wow, wow. that's true. That's- because m- most of us wake up in the morning and, ha- and think, oh, no, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. But if you actually get up and the first thing you do is get the brain ticking over and the blood flowing, that'll change the way you think of it. That's a, that's a great point, yeah. That is, that is wonderful. Now, I, I wanted to – I had one other thing I wanted to ask you, and I been, feel free to not answer this because I don't, know, I don't know where this answer is going to head, but – how did you get the nickname Chicken? <laughs> well, it's actually um, – it is a, a, a question I get asked a lot because I'm one of those people who I guess 
get called my nickname more than I get called my real name. Even my kids go, hey, chicken, what are you up to? I go, it's hey, not chicken, some, it's some, dad. <laughs> some people and, call um, you Ricky Nelson. <laughs> yeah, well, true. Yeah, some people... <laughs> You know they don't, they haven't done their research enough, and he's dead though. No, I, not, so. I couldn't read my own. I couldn't read my own screen. <laughs> no, the um, answer is is that quite funny one. But when I was an eighteen year old playing at Carlton Football Club uh, after training on a Sunday morning, uh, the ruckman there who was a big character, Wow Jones, he said, uh, "Let's all get a hamburger with a lot." So he ordered forty hamburgers, and um, he came back with them, put them on the table, and everyone started eating them. And I started eating mine with a knife and fork, and he's gone. What the hell are you doing? I said, I'm eating my hamburger. He said, no one eats a hamburger with a knife and fork. I said, I do because my mouth's so small. And he's going, ah, oh, chicken lips. So he called me chicken lips. And then about a week later, the lips part of it got dropped just to chicken. So everyone thinks it has to do with the chicken, which it sort of does, but it, but it's not, if you know what I mean. So, um, so yeah, but that's where the, fa- where the famous name came from. Would you have Would you have preferred the nickname to have the chicken part drop and have it be lips instead? Would that have been better? Well, it's funny. Probably back the first first ten years, it was like I didn't like it because I felt it related yeah. to a chicken. Now, now I don't. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't. Doesn't everyone just says chicken, but they don't mean it as a chicken. I suppose it's just the name. You know. Just, yeah. It and, goes, yeah. And probably a lot of people don't know the the, the background on that either. But that's a. That's a great. Well, not too, too many people speak at a luncheon, and the prime minister comes up and says, "Chicken, that was one of the best speeches I've ever heard." <laughs> and, I've got, and I started laughing. I said, no, "Come on, what do you?" He goes, "Oh, the bloke next to me told me to call you Chicken. Thought it'd be funny." So uh, yeah, it's one of those <laughs> names that stuck. Okay, good deal. Well, sir, I I want to thank you for uh, for coming on. I, I appreciate you taking time out of your day, um, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to thank. Uh, my guest, Ricky Nixon, for coming on this morning and sitting down to talk with me. I'm thrilled that you've you've taken this out, you've taken this time out of your busy day to, to come and sit down with me. I appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed this. I've had a blast. I've oh, thanks, I've Craig. It's been lot. great. I've learned a lot from you. It's um, so good to speak to someone, uh, I guess, from a, a different part of the world. And you you ask different questions. Too. I, I do a lot of interviews, and you get asked the same things over and over again. But this has been quite unique, and I've enjoyed it. And I well, wish everyone the best. I, and and I'm if trying I can to leave do, you all with to one, one yeah. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, if I can leave everyone with one thing, reconnect, reconnect with your happy days, and get out there today and do a few things, or think about a few things that used to make you happy. All right. Well, thank you very much, sir. Thank you. I would like to thank Mr. Ricky Nixon for being my guest on this episode. I hope you had as much fun as I did. I have to tell you, though, I'm not sure if it was the caffeine or what, but that was probably the most nervous I've been during an interview. But I think it went pretty well. And, sir, if you're listening, thank you so very much for taking time out of your morning. Ladies and gentlemen, don't forget that while you can find all of the episodes for this podcast at a yank on the footy, .podbean.com. You can also find it on your favorite podcast provider. Now that you've listened, I'd love it if you'd consider giving me a review on Apple Podcasts. It let me, lets me know what I need to work on, what I'm doing well, and it lets the podcast host know what you think of the show. Don't forget that you can also reach me at a yank on the footy at gmail.com and on Twitter at yank underscore on, as well as on Facebook and Instagram at a yank on the footy. I'm always looking for new guests and guest ideas so if you have one please reach out i have several lined up in the near future 
but I am certainly looking for names to put onto a list that I can reach out to and bring onto the show. I'll be honest with you, I truly enjoy coming online and talking with people about footy, learning more about the game, and hopefully bringing more information about the game to people, especially those of you in the U.S. who are listening who aren't maybe as familiar with the game as as other folks. Again, if you're not watching, it's going to be back on very soon, I think, and it is a fantastic game. I strongly encourage you to check it out. Okay. Now, I'd also like to thank Mr. Joseph McDade for the use of two of his great pieces of music. Mr. McDade's created some fantastic music, and I'm using the pieces Elevation and Winter's Mist. You can find all of his great music at josephmcdade.com music. Again, thanks for your hard work, sir, and your wonderful music. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to thank you for listening because without you, I'd just be sitting here talking to myself. And ladies and gents, it's sounding as though we might have footy in just about a month. Although the stories coming out of South Australia are making it sound like that may not quite be the case. Hopefully some things can be resolved. But that doesn't mean that we don't need to still be diligent with one another and protecting ourselves, protecting our families. Look out for one another. I hope that you and your family stay safe, that you're able to take the proper measures to help protect yourselves against this virus. Be tolerant of one another. And quite frankly, what Mr. Nixon had to say in this episode, he had some fantastic advice. Some that I might even recommend rewind this and go back and listen to it again, because I think it was that powerful. It resonated with me. And I'm hoping it resonates with some of you as well. And ladies and gentlemen, I ask that you consider sharing this podcast with your friends and family. And may your dribble kick never hit the post. I'll catch you later. This has been episode 24 of A Yank on the Footy. Don't forget that you can reach me at yank underscore on or at yankonthefooty at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram and at Facebook at A Yank on the Footy. Again, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening, and please consider sharing this podcast with your friends and family.